Well, Holy Spirit, I ask, well, we know that you're here and you're most welcome in this place. I ask that this is a deeply supernatural environment this morning, naturally supernatural. Holy Spirit, my prayer is that you would release revelation for every person in this place. Not one of us would leave the same way that we came in. That there'd be a little bit of a stretch, but there'd be also something of a knowing that we would not complicate things in any way, but we would embrace you. So I thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's my big thought for the day. If this is all you get, that's that's okay. Here's my thought. If you're a disciple of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's cool. That's, that's, that is a big thought, actually. When you think about it, God Almighty, eternal, infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, lives in you, lives in me. Surely that must have some effect. That must somehow shape our lives, the way that we live. When you and I walk out of it, I mean, you think of the odds of this. I'm going into my week. And it doesn't matter what comes my way, really, does it? Because it's me and God. That's pretty cool. You go into your workplace, there's a few little problems that you're stressing over. Just remember that it's you and God. You've got to have the majority, surely. You and God. I can tell by the look on your face you're not yet convinced or you don't understand. Lord, they need a revelation of who you are. Father, they need a revelation of the Holy Spirit this morning. We all do. And your power and what you want to do in our lives and through our lives. In Jesus' name. Because you and God, me and God, make a majority. That's what the scripture just says over and over and over and over again. What was that? Jonathan and his armor bearer. Two of them. Against how many thousands of soldiers? Oh, perhaps, perhaps God will be with us. In a majority, they won the battle. They won. It was incredible. God has his way. Anyway, we are in John chapter 15. And um, of course, John chapter 15 is all about intimacy with God. It's about God. It's about us. About the Holy Spirit. It's about belonging. It's about identity. Who you and I are in Christ. It's about belonging. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ together. And ultimately, it's about the fact that my life is in Christ. If you're a believer, your life is in Christ. Sometimes it feels like my life's in a whole lot of things, but the truth is my life is in Christ. My life is in Christ and everything else is in there. My life's not in my marriage. My life's not in my children. My life's not in my work. It's not in my uh, social activities. My life is in Christ. It just so happens that my family and my marriage and my work and everything else is within that circle or that life of Christ. And every now and then he'll go, Sheridan, this week you need to focus on your marriage. This week you need to focus on your kids. This week you need to focus on your work. That's okay. That's what he does. But my life is Christ. Is your life Christ? It's a question. Is your life Christ? Because if you're a disciple of Jesus, the answer is yes. 
The question really is, do we live that way? As if our life is Christ. Because it is. John 15 says this, just the first four verses this morning. I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Now verse 4 where we are today. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. At its very simplest form, remain in me, abide in me, means remain in the revelation of Jesus. That's what it means. Remain in the revelation of Jesus. And that's like, that will never come to an end. You're not going to outgrow Jesus. You're not going to outgrow that revelation, but you can move on from that revelation. And he's quite clear that we're to remain in the revelation of Jesus, in the revelation of who he is. It's very important. John 14, 6 says this. He says, well, John 14, 6 tells us that the way to the Father is through Jesus and through Jesus alone. So remaining in Jesus is incredibly important. As I've meditated on the scripture, the the Father, the gardener, takes notice of and he looks after all that is attached to the vine. The vine is Jesus. I don't think, actually, I know, when the Father looks at disciples of Christ, He doesn't differentiate between Jesus and the disciples because He sees us through the lens of Jesus. Does that make sense? You okay? It's a little bit theological, isn't it? Boy, the look on some of your faces scares me, just as well I'm secure. When God the Father looks at you and I, if you and I are connected with Jesus, He sees us through the lens of Jesus. So he sees us as he sees Jesus. That's how our sin is removed as far from the east as to the west. Never to come back because Jesus is pure, spotless, sinless. So when he looks at you and when he looks at me, he sees through the lens of Jesus, which means that he sees me spotless, sinless. Amazing. That's something to get hold of right there. That means he doesn't see me as I see myself even. He sees me through the lens of Christ, which is an amazing thing. Of course, the key here is that you're a disciple of Jesus. For him to see through the lens of Jesus, we must be a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus doesn't mean that we're sitting in church today. A disciple of Jesus means a follower of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is about relationship with Jesus. A disciple of shop, uh, 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 seeing us through that, a disciple of Jesus is not about being religious. It's not about doing the right thing at the right time. It's not about turning up at church every week on time, although on time's a good thing. But, but it, it's, it's about relationship. A disciple means a follower of, a student of, literally means a little one of, a little Christ. Because we're following him, we're pursuing him. It's a powerful thing. I wonder if this is part of the reason why in um, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, not every person who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will 
will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. I never knew you. It's all about relationship. Don't for a second get caught in the trap that it's about what you wear, how you do stuff, where you are, i.e. It's great that we're gathering this morning, but that's not your ticket to heaven. It's not. Our relationship with Jesus is the only way. The only way. And so I figure that there's two purposes in our life, really. The first purpose is that we discover Christ. For any of us, that is the first purpose of our life. The way to the Father is through Jesus. That's what John 14 tells us. So the first purpose for any of us is that we discover Christ. But then there's a second purpose for us, and that is that we discover His unique call for each of our lives, or the the job He's got for us to do, the thing He wants us to outwork. And that's going to look quite different for me than it will for you. In fact, it's quite individual to all of us. The call. It could be, you know, depending what you do, where you are, could look entirely different. The thing I do know is that whatever God's call is on our lives, it will in some way look like transformation, i.e. thy kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Your call, God's call on your life will some way, shape or form involve that transformation because that's our purpose as the church. That's our purpose as believers is to take something of the kingdom and see it expressed on the planet here. But if you don't know exactly what God's call is on your life, don't don't stress it too much. Just ask Him. And keep asking Him until you know. And don't, if He tells you don't, you know, the Bible says don't despise the day of small beginnings. He might show you something's a bit small. Well, don't go, that's, you know, that is beneath me. Throw yourself into whatever He shows and allow Him to grow it over time. Because He will. It will grow. It will enlarge. We all start somewhere doing something. You kind of, you know, when you drive, you start off small, don't you? You start off doing the easy things. You don't go, I'm going to drive today and jump in a world rally car and go hard out. It's just not going to work like that. You'll kill yourself and everyone else around you. It just doesn't work that way. We start and we grow. We, get, we grow. We grow in our skill. We grow in our relationship. We grow in our understanding. Although I will say I was listening to a preacher yesterday. Well, my son was. I was over listening. Famous preacher. And he said, let's not overcomplicate the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm sure the Holy Spirit goes to our books on healing, etc., just to learn how he's supposed to work. Some things are a mystery for a reason. Let's not overcomplicate things. But the Holy Spirit lives in me. The Holy Spirit represents the Father and the Son and lives in me and He lives in you. And that is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. He says, remain in me. That's half of it. And I will remain in you. It's Jesus. I will, the Holy Spirit, I will remain in you. It's an amazing thought. So as I remain in Him, 
as my faith is in Him, as I've found myself in Him, as I'm in relationship with Him, as I'm a disciple of Christ, I become what the Bible describes as saved. In other words, the, the relationship that was severed has now been connected. The Bible tells us that if we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe that the Father raised Him from the grave on the third day, we are saved. In other words, the relationship that was severed between us and God is restored. He forgives our sin, which literally means where we missed the mark, and gone. And He now sees us through this Jesus lens, and we go on this amazing journey, this amazing relationship. doesn't matter where you are on the journey, just the fact that you're on the journey is a good thing. The journey is different for everybody. But what happens is when we give our lives to Christ, we are literally born again, regenerated. The old is gone. You are more than just a forgiven sinner. Far, far more than that. You are born again. You are anew in Christ. That's a big thought. So we're born again. We're anew in Christ. He makes a deposit of His Holy Spirit in us. The Bible tells us it's a seal of things to come. And then we go on this amazing journey with God. It has its ups and downs and everything else, but it's this amazing journey. We, we get baptized. I trust you've been baptized. If you haven't, you need to be baptized. It's a biblical model. We get baptized in water, and that literally is we go down into the water, and it, it's... It's a demonstration to people and it's a demonstration to powers and principalities that I am no longer my old life, that I am a new in Christ and I'm dying to the old and I'm coming out a new creation in Christ. It's a demonstration of that which we're commanded to do. It's an amazing thing. And you need to be baptized if you haven't been. I often tell people, I'll just hold you down till the bubbles go and that way we know you really died to yourself. And then we'll pull you up and it's new creation in Christ. And if you've been really bad, we hold you down for longer. Put foot on and wait. Got to get all that stuff out. But we're regenerated. We're born again. We get baptized. Water. And then we get baptized. Not always in this order, but generally. We get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Baptized in the Holy Spirit. Which is an important thing. I want to just run through a few scriptures with you very quickly. I'm not going to go to them. I'm just going to highlight some bits. John 15. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Hebrews 13, 1 to 6. He says he will never abandon us. He says he will never abandon us. In other words, he's with us. Deuteronomy 4.31. He will not abandon you. Deuteronomy 31.6, He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Deuteronomy 31.8, He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Joshua 1.5, I will be with you. I will not fail you or abandon you. Joshua 1.9, For the Lord your God is with you whenever, wherever you go. Isaiah 41.10, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. 1 Chronicles 28.20 Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord my God is with you. Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd. He's with us. He leads us. He guides us. Psalm 23.6 Surely your goodness and unfailing love or your mercy will pursue me. In other words, He is with us. Psalm 73.23 You hold my right hand. He's with us. Matthew 28.20 And be sure of this, I am with you. 
2 Timothy 1.14, the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Notice the change happening. Ephesians 2.22, through him you Gentiles are also being made part of the dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. Ephesians 3.17, God will make his home in your hearts. Colossians 1.27, Christ lives in you. Hebrews 3.6, and we are God's house. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit lives in you? John 14.23, and we will come and make our home and we, the Godhead, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Them is us. That's amazing. That's amazing. Some people have a, a view of God. They, I can't remember quite the, the name of it, like the watchmaker view. You know, like he created the watch. He winds up the watch. Hopefully it all works out well at times time until the time runs out, but he's not involved with the watch. The Bible says differently. The Bible says that God is with us. Not only is he with us, he is in us. If we're disciples of Christ, he is in us. That's massive. That if you can just let that thought percolate, He is in us, that will shape our lives. That will shape our lives. The Bible theme of God's presence being in us, with us, evolves throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, and we won't go to Scriptures, I'll just read a few. It talks about, primarily, it talks about Him being with us. That I am with you, He says. I will not abandon you. I am with you. But in the New Testament... It talks about him being in us. That's a shift. With and in. That is quite a big shift. He is now in us. And maybe when John chapter 4, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he says, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternally internal life. Maybe this is what he's referring to, that he is in us, that the Holy Spirit is within his disciples, that he is the one that generates life, that he is the one that quenches thirst, that he is the one that is the bubbling spring within us. I wonder if you're feeling a bubbling spring in your life. Are you feeling that kind of sense of, wow, God is within me? God is within me. Almighty, eternal, in me. I can't quite get my head around that, to be honest. It's kind of, how do you take infinite in me? But he can. That's what counts. That's what he says. But we need to live with this understanding that because it will change everything. It will make wherever, whenever be like Jesus just natural. I walk into where I walk. It's me, as I said, and God. I don't have to summons him up. I don't have to call him down. I don't have to, where's he gone now? Go and find him. Because wherever I go, this is amazing. God's here right now. He's here right now. He's here right now. He's here right now. Not only that, he's here, 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 here. That's amazing. Isn't that incredible? He's living in you. He's living in me. What could the possibilities be of that? What could happen? What could happen if you laid hands on someone and asked for healing in Jesus' name? God's there. 
maybe they'll get healed. I know the best way not to see anyone healed. Let's not pray for anyone. It's kind of not rocket science, is it? Amazing. If God's there, you're there. If God's there, maybe there's a miracle there. He's able. Are we prepared to ask? Just a thought there, though. That's all right. Remain. Just remember this. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Remain as a constant condition. He doesn't come and go. Our feelings might come and go, our, our emotions and our awareness, but he doesn't come and go. He's there. He's living here. Here. I find that incredibly challenging. Abide in me. It's a constant condition. I haven't got time this morning but because I prepared way too much. So I'm going to leave out some big chunks. Hopefully you get the point. By and large... In the Old Testament, God came upon people or was with people. You okay with that? Got it? Just give me a little bit of feedback. Help me. Yeah? He came upon or he was with people. Okay? By and large, in the New Testament, he fills people. Got it? So he's not out there. He's in here. Good? Great. Fantastic. So think of this one. We will go and have a look here. Acts chapter 9. I encourage you to look there in your Bibles if you've got it. I'm going to it, so it gives you time to get there as well. Saul on the road to Damascus. Well, we learnt that Saul was somewhat of a, a maniac before this. Totally zealous. Persecuting the church, doing everything he could to persecute the church. Probably doing it from, I'm not even going to comment on that. Persecuting the church. And for whatever reason, God looks at Saul and goes, you know, I could take that kind of attitude and zeal and use it for my kingdom and we'll change the known world. So he would have been an interesting chap. Saul. And then in Acts chapter 9, we see Saul on the road to Damascus. And he was, as verse 3, as he was approaching Damascus on his mission to bring the Christians back in chains, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do from there. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. In the meantime, the Lord is talking to Ananias and saying, I'm sending this guy Saul. I want you to go to him. Ananias freaks out and says, I don't really want to. He's not, you know, he's bad news. He's going to hurt us. But he does what God says. He goes. Verse 15, but the Lord said, go, 
to Ananias, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road of Damascus, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales dropped off his eyes and he regained his sight, then he got baptized. Most translations say he healed him and then he laid hands on him and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit lives in us. He fills us. That's where the power to witness, the power to live the life He's called us to live comes from because He lives within. I love Acts chapter 19. I just want to jump there very quickly from verse. Now Paul, he's ministering. He got to Ephesus on the coast and he found several believers there in verse 2 of Acts chapter 19. He says to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 of them in all. Several accounts through the book of Acts, where people that already knew Jesus or already would be saved. I mean, if you look at um, Acts 9, I will be speculative, and I would say that Saul actually was saved or was became right with God the moment he stood up and was obedient to what God said. Just, I might be wrong, but as I read it, I go, I reckon he was that. That was the point of his salvation. That was the point when he, you know, he goes down. He has a revelation of Jesus. He stands and is obedient. To me, that sounds at that moment, that's probably when you would call him saved, connected with God. But it was later when Ananias laid hands on him that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Many occasions in the New Testament, we see people that are connected with God. But then later, hands are laid on them and the Holy Spirit is released and they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, God has this process with us that we're born again saved, connected with Jesus, connected with God on the journey. We're obedient to Him and we're baptized in water. It doesn't always happen in this order, but generally. Baptized in water, then filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit to live the lives that He wants us to live. One author wrote this. The first experience of the Christian life, salvation, Again, that's that moment that we're connected with God, that the relationship is restored, that our wrongdoing is forgiven, that our eternal destiny is changed, and we're on the journey. The first experience of the Christian life, salvation, 
is the incoming of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ to give us new life, God's life, eternal life. The second experience is the receiving or the making welcome of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus can cause him to pour out this new life from our spirits, to baptize our souls and bodies, and then our world around with his refreshing and renewing power. We call this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Come connected with Jesus, saved, baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. At the end of the day, it's about relationship. It's about living close. It's about being intimately connected with God. And he says, look, I want to fill you with my Holy Spirit. When, when, when you said yes to Jesus over here, the Holy Spirit entered us. He came in. He, he makes residence in us. The scripture tells us it's a seal of eternity. And over here saying, come on, the laying on of hands, I want to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I want you to be filled. I want you to be empowered. I want you to leak kingdom. I want you to leak kingdom power. I want the Holy Spirit to move through you, doing the things that you and I can't do. I mean, I can pray for the sick. I mean, I can try to heal someone who's sick. All I want, I'm not going to do anything. Touch of God. It's a difference. I can ask for a miracle. I can't do anything, but God can. And he's living within me. He says, Sheridan, I want to fill you to overflowing. I want to fill you so much with my presence. I want to fill you so much with my power that just when you walk in the room, the atmosphere will change. I want to fill you. And he wants to fill all of us. He wants to baptize all of us. Now, you can talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And up to this point, it's pretty good. And then some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, but there's that tongues thing. Hey, there's that tongues thing. They're going to make us speak. And no one's going to make you do anything. But tongues is an important part of our journey with Christ. It really is. He gives us this incredibly powerful language, which we call tongues. It's our, our spirit communicating with his spirit. No, no mind junk involved. Pure communication. Incredibly powerful. There's a um, book called The Holy Spirit in You by Dennis and Rita Bennett. And I like what they say. Speaking of tongues, they say it comes with the package. Talking baptism of the Holy Spirit. Comes with the package. Speaking in tongues is not the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but it is what happens when and as you are baptized in the Spirit, and it becomes an important resource to help you continue, as Paul says, to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. You don't have to speak in tongues in order to have the Holy Spirit in you. You don't have to speak in tongues to have times of feeling filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you want the free and full outpouring that is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you must expect it to happen as the Scriptures record. I like that last line. The, the Scriptures are our model. If you want to have the free and full outpouring that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, expect it to happen the way it happened in the scriptures I was thinking 
I, I like those buns you buy in the supermarket. I might even have some for lunch. With chicken and coleslaw, maybe. You know those little buns, you buy them and they look nice, but they're not cooked? You've got to put them in the oven. It's a little bit like that, isn't it? It's, it's like they're the promise of things to come. Aren't they? They look good. They look like buns. They're doughy like buns. They're the promise. They're the seal of things to come. But they don't realize their full potential until you put them in the oven. And in the oven. Could be prophetic for someone. No. But they don't realize their full potential until you put them in the oven and they cook. They cook. It's a little bit like that. We give our lives to Christ. We surrender our lives to Christ. We're on this journey of discipleship. And some people get hung up about where they're at on the journey. Don't worry about it. A journey's a journey. Just go on the journey. It's all good as long as you're moving. We get baptized in water. And there's this opportunity to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's like the promise is given here when I say, yes, Jesus. He says, well, do you want me to put that bun in the oven? Should we cook that thing? Should we bring the full potential? that's available there. I know the story's limited, but you get the picture. Shall we bring out the full potential of what's within there? And in a sense, that's like being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We give our lives to Christ. We're on the journey. We're baptized in water. It doesn't matter too much about the order. Don't freak out about that. But Do you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do you want to be filled with power of the Holy Spirit? Do you want to walk in relationship at the potential He's called us to? And that's growing all the time. Never going to end that journey. It's growing all the time. But do we want to walk in the power and the authority that He desires us to walk in? Because I think we tend to neglect this area a little bit. Oh, yeah, that baptism, that, the Holy, that, that's for spiritual people. Or maybe this is what will make you that spiritual person. Maybe it's this that will empower you to do some of the things that God's placed in your heart that you're too afraid to do. Maybe it's baptism in the Holy Spirit that God will be able to move through you in a more powerful way. Maybe it's when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit that some of the gifts of the Spirit are going to be unlocked in your life. Things you've dreamt about, things you've desired for a long time. But how do I do that? Maybe, maybe. Because in my spirit, I really sense an invitation from the Holy Spirit this morning for us to step in here. And that He wants to baptize people in the Spirit. He wants to fill us in the Spirit. I don't know. I can remember the, the, the night I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't know how I wouldn't live here now. I just don't. Do I feel like I've arrived? No, I feel like I've got so, so far to go. But this is where I'm at in my journey, and it includes being baptized in the Holy Spirit. First thing, say yes to Jesus. First thing, get in relationship with Jesus. He 
He went to the cross. He died on a cross. The Father rose him from the dead three days later. All of that, all of that was about creating an environment that we could reconnect with him. There was sin in the picture, which is anything that doesn't meet the mark. And because God is a holy God, he can't have sin in the picture. That had to be dealt with. That's what Jesus did on the cross. So we simply find ourselves in a position today that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our heart that the Father rose him from the dead three days later, the Bible tells us we will be saved. In other words, that relationship will be connected. We get to walk with God. He deposits the Holy Spirit in our life, seals our life with the promise of things to come. We get to walk in relationship with Him. The power of sin, the power of death, although we will all face a physical death, the power of death is broken. Our eternal direction is changed forever. Our eternal location is changed forever. And we get to go on this crazy, amazing, not always easy journey with God.